Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor of Mission Church, and welcome to Easter. Easter live streamed in your house. I was thinking about uh, just the first Easter I attended 21 years ago. I was 16 years old, didn't grow up in church, and it was one of the most special services I've ever gone to. It was at a high school. It was a church plan also. And the message had three points I still remember to this day. Uh, Easter gives us the opportunity to get better instead of bitter. It gives us the opportunity to soar instead of get sour. And Easter gives us the opportunity to be a victor, not a victim. And I remember walking out of that uh, service and being a kid who grew up in a, I would say, just some tougher circumstances at time. And I told myself, I will not be a victim, but I'll be a victor. That this life will not make me bitter, but it's going to make me better. I remember declaring, I'm not going to be a sour person. I'm going to rise above the, the muck of this world. And, um, as I was praying for this message, some of you, this is your first Easter you're attending, and you're never going to forget it. You're attending maybe in your living room, maybe you're attending in your bedroom, you just press play, and you're watching right now, but I really believe this, that God wants to use this message. And the title of my message today is, Why Easter? Why Easter? And um, I want to start this with a question. I want to start with a question, uh, because Easter makes a pretty big claim. It makes a pretty big declaration and we should process that together. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Say you got on Instagram one day or you got on your email, and in that email it said that uh, your distant cousin uh, has given you in their will an eight-bedroom house on Lake Tahoe, on the water, beautiful house, worth millions. If you don't like Tahoe, I'll give you Maui. How's that? An eight-bedroom house in Maui. If you don't like uh, Maui or Tahoe, uh, there's a problem with you, and I'm going to pray for you, okay? Uh, but basically, just imagine getting an email out of the blue saying your distant cousin has gifted you an eight-bedroom mansion. You couldn't ignore it. I mean, and let's be honest, in our society, we're skeptical. There's so many people trying to scam us. But with that type of statement and that type of email, you would have to investigate it because it's too good not to investigate. Well, Easter, here's what, here's what it declares, that we have a risen Savior that conquered death. Easter declares that we're going to get new bodies. Easter declares we're going to have a new earth. Easter declares that, that when you say yes to Jesus and you believe in your heart and you confess through your mouth that you'll be saved, that you will live in heaven for eternity with, with Jesus. That's something that is too good not to investigate. So let's investigate it together today. Let's look at why Easter is such a big deal. Let's look at why Easter means so much to the Christian movement. And I, I want to go to this, the, the Easter story in Luke 24. Let's start there. Because Easter reminds us that the resurrection is real. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. It's Luke 24, and we're starting verse 1. I got a lot of uh, scripture today. Bear with me. But uh, I think it's good to have a lot of scripture on Easter. Come on, here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down and their, with their faces to the ground. There's two angels. In one of the translations, it says that the angels rolled the stone away and just sat on top of the stone. I just think it's such a boss move by an angel, just to roll and then sit on top of the stone. And so she sees these angels, and the, the angels say this, why do you look for the living among the dead? This is a correction, by the way, because Jesus has been talking about his resurrection his whole time, but they just were missing it. They didn't really understand what he was saying. It seemed too good to be true. And there's, it's, it's almost a rebuke question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It would be like going to Walmart saying, why are you looking for Louis Vuitton at Walmart? You just don't find it there. You will not find the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while I was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. <laughs> he has risen. 
Uh, if we were together, I would say this. It's one of my favorite things to do on Easter. He has risen. And at home, you would say, he has risen indeed. I, I'm, I'm believing that a lot of people just said that again. Let me give you more chance. He has risen. Okay, I'm believing you did it in the living room. All right, here we go. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day. Let's go down to verse nine. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. These are the 11 disciples that have been with Jesus for the last three years. So you would think the disciples, when they hear from Mary, they hear from Mary, the reformed prostitute. They hear from Mary, the mother of Jesus. They hear from Joanna, who was, uh, by the way, the, um, you could say the administrator, uh, wife of King Herod. We see that in, earlier in Luke 3. So these three women were real people with real witnesses. And they come and you would think the disciples would be like, oh my gosh, that means Jesus is alive. Here's what they said to it. So it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other, others with them and told them this apostles. Here's what they say but they did not believe the woman because the words seemed like nonsense. Can you imagine this? The three women come back and say, the grave is empty. Two angels told us not to look for the living among the dead. And the disciples, this is what they respond. Yo, these girls be crazy. They are crazy. They, they're saying Jesus is alive. That doesn't mean to make, that sounds too crazy for me. Christianity is not a movement for simple-minded people. It, it is a movement where you process, where you digest that there is a declaration that you can look at historians, you can look at scholars, you can look at theologians. Jesus was a real man. Jesus lived a real life. He was crucified on a cross and he conquered the grave. These are all things that historians show us. But for some reason, the disciples, they couldn't, they couldn't grasp what they were saying. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen. Hmm. He saw the strips of linen. We're gonna talk about the word saw by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. That word saw is the, not some normal word saw. There's, there's Greek words that would be used different. This word saw is theoreo, theoreo. It's where we get the word theorize. So when Peter walks into the temple, it says that he saw, but what he was doing, he was trying to theorize. What, what happened here? Because if grave robbers came in here and stole Jesus' body, they, they, would have, they would have taken the spices and of course the, the cloth, but they took nothing. They took the body that would be worth nothing. And if disciples came in here or followers came in here, they would have never disrespected Jesus' body and taken him out naked. So he's processing. And I love what it says. After he's theorizing, he's wondering to himself what had happened. Let's uh, uh, fast forward to verse 36. And we just have to, I just got to let you understand the, the, the context of this. The people came for the leader and they killed Jesus. A lot of the disciples believed the next step was they're going to come for the followers and kill them too because they wouldn't want them to have the upheaval. So they're afraid, they're hiding, they're always bunkering down. So they're in their house, and here's what it says in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. <laughs> I always love this moment. Jesus showing up, peace be with you. And this is what it says. They were startled and frightened. Can you imagine Jesus, peace be with you. Ah! You're the disciples. For three years he told you this. And I, I sometimes think Jesus might have got a little bit of a kick out of it. Being like, oh, these knuckleheads, oh. These, these, these 11 that I poured into, man, they're, just, they're so adorable sometimes. So they, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do uh, doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. What a kind, what a kind Savior. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And why they still did not believe it, uh, did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, <laughs> Read that again. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked him, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he, ordered, he, then he opened their minds so he could understand the scriptures. I pray right now that some of you who are seekers, that God would open your minds, that he would open the eyes of your heart, that he would open your eyes, and that you would see that God is real. That Easter is not some just festival to go find a bunny, but there is a real savior that wants to encounter your life. I pray that there's something happening right now in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, where your eyes are being opened to the living God who died for you. That's what happened at this moment. That's what happened to me at 16. I would go to church and I was bored, but for some reason, one moment when I was 16, I felt like my eyes were opened that Jesus was king and I was his son and he died for me. I pray that for you today. He goes on to say, then he opened their minds so he could understand scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Stop. Verse 48, you are witnesses. We don't believe in Easter because we read it in some fable. We don't believe in Easter because somebody just told it. We don't believe in Easter because there's some good teachings. We don't believe in Easter because just Jesus died on the cross. We believe in Easter because Jesus rose from the grave. And there are witnesses that declare it. It says that hundreds and hundreds of people for those 40 days saw the risen Savior rise from the grave. I'll give you a handful of them. Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark uh, was an eyewitness. Luke is about roughly 45 years after the resurrection, he investigates it. So 45 years later, he goes to the town and he investigates it. And he puts names in there. Mary, uh, the reformed prostitute, Mary, the mother. And of course, Joanna, the administrator. He's putting names and dates on, on these things. Peter witnessed it and all of his letters were affected by it. Read every letter from Peter. It's marked, he's always talking about the resurrection. He's always talking about the hope it gives. Always rejoicing in the resurrection. He's always rejoicing over Easter, if I could put it that way. John writes about it in his. James, Jesus' brother, shows up late on the scene, and he declares Jesus is Lord. Let's just talk about this real quick. What would your sibling have to do for you to say they're the perfect Savior? Come on now, think about it. What kind of brother would go, yeah, my brother is the Savior of the world. He's the perfect risen land. This is, this is the declaration from a brother. Witness after witness said they saw this risen, risen king. So we don't have faith in faith. We don't have faith in just something. We have faith that Resurrection Sunday is real, that the grave has been conquered, that the tomb is empty. The cornerstone of our movement, can I just say this real quick? When Jesus died on the cross three days before the resurrection, there was no movement happening. There was no Christians yet. They all quit. They were done. They basically disappeared. The movement of Christianity is not after the cross. It's not that, because all of them are like, oh, I, I guess that's it. He, he, was, he, was, he was a great savior, but uh, he was a great teacher, but he's, he's gone. No, the movement of Christianity didn't start until the resurrection. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. The resurrection is why we believe our God is the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Alpha and Omega. It's almost like Jesus said this to all the lowercase gods. Hey, let's have a competition. Let's all die and let's see who comes back to life. There's only one God that's ever done it, and his name is Jesus. This is why we believe Easter is such a big deal. This is why we celebrate Easter in such a way. So why billions around the world this Sunday are going to praise Jesus for conquering the day, the, the grave. This is such a big deal. May we never forget how big of a deal the resurrection is. And may we never forget how real it is. If you're somebody who is kind of a skeptic, investigate it. And the more you investigate, you're going to find out he's a real God, and he's a real Savior, and he conquered the grave. Second thing why Easter is such a big deal is Easter causes us to boast in the cross. It costs us to boast in the cross. And I love this, is in Galatians 6. And it's interesting, there's so many things in this culture that we can try to find our sure footing on. There's so many things in this culture that we can try to find why we're so great or why we should rejoice. But Galatians 6, Paul finishes this letter to a religious group, 
a group that was trying to boast in their own works, in their own efforts, in their own way of life. And Paul, if anybody could have boasted, it was Paul. But Paul saw himself as the least of the sinners. How is that? Why is the cross such a big deal and such a big part of this? Let's look at that. Galatians 6 says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else, just the cross. So let's, let's look at this. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Stop. You ever wonder why Jesus had to die and conquer the grave? You ever wonder why the cross had to happen? Think about it. Uh, uh, our relationship with God was broken. There was a covenant that God made with Abraham, and we broke it. We broke that relationship. We, we sinned and we walked away from God. We basically chose the world over him. And so there was a broken relationship here. And a lot of people say, why didn't God just say, uh, okay, you're all saved? Because if you look at this all-powerful God, here's what he says. Let there be light. There's light. He literally says, speaks animals into existence. He speaks Adam into existence. This is what our God does. But for some reason, he didn't just say, let there be forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with a cost. Forgiveness comes with a price. Let, let's, let's put it real personal real quick. Imagine if, you, imagine if you adopted a daughter or a son, and that daughter and son grew up in your house. And for 18 years, they were in your house, and you loved them, and you loved them, and you loved them, and you loved them, and you gave, and you gave. And on their 18th birthday, they stole your life savings, and they went and just dwindled it on everything else. Ten years goes by. And can you imagine your adopted son coming back and sitting at the table and just saying, oh, hey, what's up? How you doing, Dad? You, could, you would say, hold on a second. You can't just act like nothing happened. For 10 years, you've been missing. For 10 years, you stole everything that we had and you spent it on whatever you wanted. And you're gonna sit at the table and just say, oh, hey, what's up, Dad? How you doing? No, our relationship has been broken. You've taken a withdrawal. There's been a cost to this. This has broken my heart. You can't just sit at the table and say, hey, how you doing? And the reason why some of you maybe have a problem with understanding why we just had to die and why you had to conquer the grave is because of this. Is because we took what God gave us, our time, our talents, our treasures. We took it all. He gave all of it to us, and we went and dwindled it on ourselves. And for us to walk in and just say, hey, good to see you, God, to think that's going to fix it. God would say, no, there, there is a chasm. Something has been broken between us, and somebody must pay the price. Paul understood that. Paul understood that the cross was the ultimate price to be paid for the broken relationship that mankind had severed. There's something that you have to understand. You're a terrible sinner. Like, your sin is so offensive to God that he couldn't just say with words, you are forgiven. The cross is so offensive or it's such a rejoiceful statement. For me, it's rejoiceful. I get it. I'm a great sinner. But guess what? I have a greater savior. I, I, I wrote down this and I'll, I'll just uh, hit you with it. Those who take sin lightly, take the cross lightly. I know that my decisions in my life severed the relationship with the father. And so now I boast in the cross that he's forgiven me. There's a story in the Bible um, that I want to read you. And it's in Luke 7, 36 through 50. And this is when, the, when Easter really starts to have a big moment in your life, when you really come to Easter with that kind of heart saying, I cost you something, God, and you paid it. Let me, let me even say a, a different illustration of just showing you what cost is with forgiveness. If you came over to my house and you uh, were goofing around and you broke my big screen TV, and I said, hey, don't worry about it. I got this. I forgave it. All good. Somebody's going to have to buy a new big, big screen TV. It's going to come out of my cost. 
And really what, what the cross shows is when we broke it, God said he forgave it, but somebody had to pay the cost. And Jesus said, I'll pay the cost. My life, I will, I will pay the cost so they can, you can see them the way you see me, that they can be righteous, that we can have the relationship you've always desired for mankind. It's fascinating to me, the ones that actually understand how much sin they have, they worship different. The people who understand really what they were saved from and what they were saved to, they respond different. You just, you just see it at church. You, you see it with the way they worship. They don't, they don't come in cavalier. There's this posture saying, you, you saved me. You, you, you saved me from the brokenness of life. I, I look at my life and I go, I cannot believe where I am today. I look at my, my family's track record, everybody else, and I go, how in the world do I have this kind of marriage? How in the world do I have this kind of healthy mindset? Because that's actually not what I came from. It's what I was saved from. There's a story in Luke 7 that I want to I share with you. A lot of scripture I said, so bear with me. It's the one where the, uh, the sinful woman anointed Jesus. And this is what should happen on our Easter. This was her personal Easter, if you will. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went into his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city had heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt uh, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, he would know that that kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Stop. You ever meet those Christians? All they do is talk about Jesus. All they do is post things about what God's doing in their life. You know what it is? They're kissing Jesus' feet all the time. They're not lackadaisical about why they're alive. It's just what, that's all they want to do. This is all this woman wanted to do. Her, her salvation affected her so much that all she wanted to do was praise Jesus at his feet. Don't ever mock those type of Christians. They may know something you don't know. They may know really what they were saved from. Goes on to say, then Jesus told him uh, this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver and to one 50, uh, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one from who he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wa uh, wash the dust off my feet, but she washed, the, uh, washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many. It's one of my favorite. They are many. Okay. They are many. Have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Stop. I want to focus on this real quick. And this is why the cross, we boast in it. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. If you think you only needed a little bit of forgiveness to get saved, you're missing it. You're boasting in your own works. You're boasting in what you accomplished in life. You're, you're boasting in what you think is your self-righteousness. Your self-righteousness didn't get you saved. Actually, it condemns you even more. The, the more and more you read the Bible, you start to see verses like, your greatest days are like a filthy rag before the Lord. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think I'm getting better where I'm starting to earn my salvation. Paul, as he was sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus, do you know the way he would talk? I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the apostles. But towards the end of his life, he realized, I'm the least of the sinners. Oh, may you grow every day more and more and realize that you are so sinful, but he's so gracious. That you, you don't save yourself, but he saved us. That should change the way that you worship him. That should change really what you understand. Let me put it this way. Until you really understand that you are saved from hell and saved from the worst parts of yourself, you'll never worship the way you're called to worship. Until you realize that the debt was so big you could have never paid it 
and that's why you boast the cross, you'll never really pray the way you're supposed to pray. You'll never attend church the way you're supposed to attend church. You'll never serve at church the way you're supposed to serve. You'll never tell people about Jesus the way that actually Jesus is because you've never really seen it. I pray right now that your eyes would be open to how God saved you. I pray that your heart would be open. I pray that your mind would be open to understanding that God saved you from the wretches of hell so you could live heaven with him. Oh, all I can boast about is the cross. That's why Easter's a big deal. And then last but not least, Easter reminds us to rejoice. Easter reminds us to rejoice. Let's think about this. Peter, if you look at his story of pre-resurrection, is Peter believed, he disbelieved, and then he re-believed. Peter, literally, a junior high girl came up and said, aren't you one of the followers? And he was like, I never know the man. I don't even know the guy. He was afraid to tell a junior high girl that he was a believer in Jesus. But if I'm being honest, I probably would have done the same thing. Peter's life changed after the resurrection. I wrote this down. Peter, before the resurrection, denied he even knew Jesus. After the resurrection, he preached boldly about the resurrection of Jesus. What a parallel. The resurrection changed everything for Peter. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me ask you this question. How does a man go from denying Jesus to a junior high girl to gladly being beheaded by the emperor Nero of Rome? What, what, what a chasm. How does one person go from being afraid to proclaim Jesus to be willing to be beheaded from Jesus, uh, for Jesus? Because he saw the resurrection and he knew death had been conquered. Are, are, you, are you afraid to give everything to Jesus? Maybe you haven't actually encountered the resurrected Jesus yet. Maybe the type of Jesus you have is the warm and fuzzy Jesus. The warm and fuzzy Jesus that's gonna make your life uh, just perfect for you and you'll never suffer from anything. Peter didn't believe in God because he's gonna make his life warm and fuzzy. He believed in God because he saw him conquer the grave. I wanna want read you a verse. It's in 1 Peter 1, it says this. It says, praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a uh, new birth into the living hope through what? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This, you'll see this verbiage from Peter over and over again now. He's talking about, look at his great mercy. He's given us this living hope. Why do we have a living hope? Because uh, God, God said to have a living hope? No, because we witnessed the resurrection. Oh, we witnessed it. He goes on to say, and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You'll notice that the disciples would talk a lot about heaven too. Jesus talked a lot about heaven. Culture didn't talk, even Jewish culture didn't talk about heaven a lot. Jesus talked about heaven a lot. And I even love what he says in verse six. In all this, you greatly rejoice. If you're at home, just say rejoice with me real quick. Rejoice. There, there's something about that Easter should cause you to rejoice. But here's what he says after this rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. <laughs> Stop. Rejoice in the midst of suffering and trials? That, that's a paradox. Let me, let me say this. Peter went from denying that he was a believer to a junior high girl to willingly being beheaded from Emperor Nero in Rome for this very reason. He had the receipt of the resurrection. He had the confidence of the resurrection. Let, let, me, let me unpack it in a simple illustration. Imagine you and I are at an Apple store. You walk in, you see me, and I give you an Apple laptop, MacBook Pro, the, the best one they got, put it in your hands and say, hey, I paid for it, go ahead, you can, um, you can go walk out of the store. Well, you'd first kind of be like, what, what's happening right now? You, I kind of believe you. You said that you bought it. You said that it's paid for. And can you imagine walking through the door and having a buzzer go off? Bzz, beep, beep, beep. You'd stop. You'd look for me, but I'm not there anymore. And you'd say, well, uh, that, that guy over there told me he bought it for me. And they're like, where's your receipt? And you would have no receipt. And you'd be, oh, you'd be, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail this trial. I'm going to be arrested. I, I wish I had a receipt for this laptop. I don't have a receipt. It would make you respond like Peter did to the junior high girl. I, I don't know. I, it was that guy over there. I don't even know him. He just, he just gave it to me. Now imagine the story a little different. 
Imagine watching me pay for the MacBook Pro. And then imagine me getting the receipt and giving it to you and say, here's the receipt for the MacBook Pro. You put that receipt in your back pocket and you would walk out with confidence because you have the receipt that is paid for. Peter had the receipt of the resurrection. He had the receipt and he saw that it was paid for. And so when Peter would go through a trial, when he would go through suffering, he would say, I- I'm confident. I-, I saw the resurrection. I saw, I saw Jesus re- uh, that came out of the grave. I-, I-, I was around him for 40 days. He conquered the grave. I have no fear in these sufferers or trialings because they're just a moment of my life. They are my whole life. I asked my wife for permission. And uh, one of the stories she shared with me when we first started um, dating was when Jesus became real to her in her life. And uh, she grew up in church from the womb. Like basically got saved in the womb. I got saved at 16, but she got saved in the womb. I think, uh, you know, her pastor said, you want to get saved? And she probably kicked from the womb, you know, punched on the womb, like, I'm saved. Uh, She's like, those kind of kids, one of those kids got saved really early. She ended up going to college at UCLA. And her uncle, who was kind of like a second dad to her, somebody she loved, really close family, got terrible brain cancer. Terrible brain cancer. And through that trial of watching him die because of it, she questioned everything about God. What kind of God would allow my uncle die, uh, my uncle to die from this kind, of t- uh, this kind of cancer? What kind of God would allow this? And it rocked her faith because her faith wasn't in the resurrection at this moment. Her faith was in God just making sure that everything was gonna work out in her family, that everything was gonna be warm and fuzzy in her family. And when it wasn't warm and fuzzy, it destroyed her whole faith in everything. And she had to go on a journey. God, if you're real, I gotta find out if you're real. So she started going on a journey, started pursuing God. And she came across a book uh, by Philip Yancey said, the Jesus I never knew, the Jesus I never knew. Because we grow up with the felt board Jesus and Jesus is there to always make sure that if you fall and scrape your knee, everything's gonna be okay. But then she realized that Jesus died on a cross, not to end our suffering, but to enter into our suffering. That Jesus died on a cross, not to end our suffering here on earth, but to redeem our suffering in heaven. And some of you, I, I, just, I have to say real quick, do not let a trial or suffering destroy your faith in God. Because that's not where, warm and fuzzy will not be a receipt to get through hard times. The receipt, oh, the receipt of the resurrection is what's gonna get you to the other side of these. Every valley I'm in, I always go, Lord, you entered into the suffering with me. You've been through this type of suffering. You're walking with me right now. Oh God, you are good because you paid the ultimate price. My hope for you today is, as we end this Easter message, that Easter would not be an an event on a Sunday for you, but it would be a cornerstone in your faith. That it wouldn't be something you attend once a year, but it would actually start to shape the way you see God and live for God. Easter is not just something where we go find some eggs from a bunny. It is the pinnacle of Christianity. It is the epicenter of Christianity. It is the thing that we center around and say, this is why our God is God. This is our God. This is why we can sing living hope. This is why we worship with our hands raised. This is why we give our time and talents, our treasures. This is why we joyfully give our finances. This is why we joyfully lay our life down. I walked away from, Rachel walked away from everything at Sony Pictures. A great salary to build the kingdom. Why? Because she had some faith in some teachings. No, she had faith that there's a resurrected God. You're not gonna be able to say yes to heaven until you actually believe in heaven. You're not gonna actually say yes to the resurrection life until you actually encounter the resurrected Jesus. Can I pray for you? Everybody who's watching, I wanna pray for you real quick. I wanna pray that, that our church, when we come back together, we would come back together as resurrected believers. Not as just Christians that attend sometimes and want a warm and fuzzy Jesus, but we worship the resurrected Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, Mission Church. I thank you for the people that are watching today. 
And God, there are people going through sufferings and trials. And Lord, you tell us to rejoice, not because the suffering and trials are enjoyable, but because this is not the end moment. There's another page to the story. Lord, you tell us to store our treasures in heaven. Lord, may, may we think more heavenly than we think earthly. May we not cling to this world tightly, but may we actually look forward to heaven. I got a question for anybody who's never said yes to Jesus. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to heaven, no to hell, you've never said yes to this thing that just sounds too good to be true, but it is true that our Savior died on the cross, conquered the grave, so you could say yes to him and have a new body, a new earth, that there'll be heaven with no more tears. Oh, that's a promise that I cling to. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, I want you to do one of these three things. One is, if you're with some people, tell them you said yes to Jesus today. Tell them that you wanna pray the salvation prayer in your life. Second thing is, if you don't uh, want to tell somebody right, right you're around, go ahead and click on the website. We have a I said yes. Click on the I said yes, and we'll have a pastor follow up with you. In the YouTube right now, right there to the, the right, you can literally write yes, and we're going to rejoice with you. Everybody will be celebrating with you. Four, I'll give a fourth one. Call somebody and tell them you said yes to Jesus. You made the best decision in your life. 21 years ago, Easter changed the way that I saw how Jesus saw me and how I'm supposed to see the world. I pray this Easter did the same for you. Take care, Mission Church. Be blessed. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.